I really believe and hope that uh, legal requirements combined with more informed users um, bring more scrutiny and uh, to, to existing solutions. And that in the long term, um, you know, there, there will be a distinguishing factor of who who's the companies you trust your data and who not. And I think it can be uh, destroyed very fast and easily. So I, for me personally, I don't see myself in a scene where um, I have a huge scandal in, in our company, how things really go wrong. And so I think from the beginning, that's very important questions even startups need to deal with because it can destroy the entire, uh, everything great you're doing if you are publicly losing the trust um, of your users. And so I think it's really important also from a business perspective. Hello and welcome back to the Austrian AI podcast with your usual host, Manuel Paseka. Today on the show, I have the pleasure to talk to Karina Zietmeier, CEO and co-founder of Textastic, an Austrian AI startup that develops small business and consumer solutions for income tax declaration. We cover multiple topics today on the show, starting out with talking about the technical challenges Karina and her team are facing when digitizing receipts. Not only how to make use of methods from image analysis in order to extract the relevant information from receipts, but as well how they classify the receipts based on methods from natural language processing in order to decide if a receipt is tax relevant or not. What I think makes this episode special is our discussion about the responsibilities companies have when designing end-user products that make use of privacy-relevant customer data. That companies should from the start design their products and services with their privacy in mind and how they have to think about the user data they collect. In addition, we talk about the difficulties to develop AI-powered end-user products that customers can trust while still being aware of the limitations and imperfections. We end the interview with Karina describing her work at the Women in AI Austria to increase diversity in the field of AI and in tech in general. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Today on the show, I have the pleasure to talk to Karina Zietmeier. Hello, Karina. Hi, Manuel. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to be coming onto the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, I hope that we're going to talk about the about your uh, startup, Textastic, and a bit of your background and some of the of aspects of privacy and um, trust and responsibility. But maybe we can start out the show with you giving a short um, background about yourself, um, what you have been doing prior to Textastic, and how you came about um, creating and starting this startup. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, actually, so I didn't have a very uh, straight uh, path and didn't plan to become CEO of Textastic. Um, and originally, I started out being fascinated about the biggest problems we are facing uh, on, on Earth. And so I was really attracted by this idea of the United Nations and how different uh, nationalities come together to, to find sustainable solutions for the entire globe and, and make the world a bit better. And that's why I went on to study uh, law first here in, in Vienna, at the University of Vienna, and then also did a master, master degree in human rights and democratization which led me to, to work alongside the European Union and the Austrian uh, permanent mission to the United Nations in Geneva, 
where I had the pleasure to represent our country in, in various fields from intellectual property to health in the WHO to human rights, uh, humanitarian migration affairs, and uh, also a bit of um, environmental affairs. And uh, very interestingly, Already there, I saw that uh, AI was playing or starting to play a role in, mm -hmm. in all these um, organizations. And uh, I really was uh, intrigued and interested in, in how the technology could actually help us to, to achieve certain, certain goals um, as international community. So that's how I kind of came into the field of AI. Um, also combined with... Um, my brother, who uh, has been an innovator uh, yeah, forever, basically, and mm -hmm. uh, he decided to study uh, AI, uh, artificial intelligence, in the Netherlands. And um, very soon he started telling me, oh, my God, you know, there is all these interlinkages between artificial intelligence and human rights. You really need to get into it. And so this... Um, uh, yeah, spirit uh, combined with what I saw in the United Nations really like swapped over and triggered my interest. And so that's uh, how it all started, basically. Very nice. Very interesting. Yeah, it's always good to get inspired by, by others, right? And like you said, like to cross-pollinate in many ways different fields, if it's law and human rights and AI. Very good. But then um, can you tell us something, our listeners, about um, exactly what you're doing at um, Textastic and what, who are your, how are your customers and, and how can they, they benefit from what you're developing there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, with a big pleasure. So uh, as mentioned, I am co-founder and CEO of Textastic, and we are helping individuals and small companies to do their income tax declarations with AI. Uh, so currently we have uh, two applications, so one, or one AI engine, let's say this way, and one application. Uh, the application is called Tax at Home, and um, it's mostly running in Austria, but also available uh, in Germany and it helps employees to get their tax refund or to unlock their maximum tax refund. Um, what you need to know is that every year, hundreds of millions of euros um, are not claimed back only in Austria. So uh, we said, okay, we want to help people to actually get back the money that belongs to them. And um, that's how we're helping people in our application. And uh, in parallel, so we uh, position ourselves as an AI uh, startup. And we also have um, a number of AI engineers and backend engineers working together to actually create an, an AI engine, which does not only do simple classifications, but really understands with uh, natural language processing, which products were bought and then connect them with the individual user situation, then estimating whether this expense was tax relevant for the specific user and then classifying it into the right category. So to give you an example, mm -hmm. um, imagine like myself, I am CEO of Textastic. So if I buy, uh, a book uh, called uh, Recipes for Christmas, it wouldn't be tax relevant in my case. However, if I was a chef de cuisine and I'm employed, I could um, put it into my tax declaration uh, as professional literature. Or if I ran a business being a, a small um, company or company owner, I could again um, put this into my tax declaration. Mm -hmm. And so we have just managed to have the first uh, proof of concept for employee tax returns. 
Um, and now our mission is to extend this uh, to small uh, companies and to integrate the AI engine in the existing text at home app where it currently is in a uh, test version. So we have not really launched it uh, to, to, for, for our users, but we are in the process of finalizing this step to launch it in our application. Interesting. Um, but maybe before we talk a bit more about the application and as you said, like the way that it, uh, it pre uh, presents itself to the customer and how they use it, just to get it because you started out saying that there are so many millions which are not, let's say, uh, returned necessarily to the uh, to the people. This is basically because like uh, people are too lazy to actually make the income tax declaration or it's because it's too difficult sometimes, as I said, right? like that people maybe don't know what they could use, what they could not use or what other options there are to, to, to benefit from the income tax declaration? Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of factors as we found out in our research. So um, the, actually the starting barrier is very high and uh, the, there's also this problem that you do it once a year. So once you do it, you kind of keep forgetting what you did the year before and you always have this very high entry barrier. Um, and uh, so some people are too lazy or just kind of push it back and then don't do it. You can, by the way, do it five years um, backwards. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's also a, a certain lack of knowledge uh, and also a healthy routine that is kind of missing of um, just uh, collecting the receipts that can be uh, tax relevant and then combined with the lack of knowledge, which actually are the expenses that ca can be tax relevant and um, the place where to store them, how to actually get them together, uh, make some sums. And it can be quite tricky because um, certain expenses, if also for employees, like if you buy a laptop and um, it's above a certain threshold, it means you need to uh, actually depreciate it over a number of years. Mm -hmm. So you need to do calculations. Um, then uh, sometimes you need to also calculate on how much you're using your laptop uh, on a private, like privately, and how much you use it for work. And uh, so, and then you need to do this for the next years because you depreciate it over years. Mm -hmm. So it can become quite um, complex. And this is not, by the way, what we are solving with AI, um, that, that only the classification part is the machine learning part. And um, then we have uh, sm smart follow-up questions to uh, actually ask users, uh, would you like to depreciate your laptop over the, the three years um, that usually, or that is recommended by the German um, standard list? We don't mm -hmm. have one in Austria, but uh, usually that's accepted, yeah. Okay. So it can be. So that's the problem, yeah. So on the one hand, it's too complex. On the other hand, um, you need to push yourself. Uh, it's kind of a healthy routine of collecting receipts and knowing which ones are relevant, yeah. Okay, I understand. But as you already mentioned before, then the problem that in many ways you try to solve or to, or to help the customer with is not necessarily one which you can solve only with the technology, right? Because as you as you mentioned, um, if people are resistant to eat uh, at all, perform this income tax declaration or not used to it, like continuously collect maybe receipts, um, that that's the challenge, right? So in this sense, like I would imagine that your application as well is really trying to encourage people to really do so to continuously. In in your case, I would imagine scan or photograph um, the receipts so that they are, they are collected over time and can be used by your system. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So 
um, already now in the application. Now it's done manually and labeled manually, but uh, users uh, basically can just scan a receipt, import it, or take a picture, and mm-hmm. um, and then have it in the app and directly, uh, basically manually label it, and then we create the sums and store the receipts in a in a final PDF for them. Um, and uh, what I forgot to mention is also to solve this problem that because also for a state it's important to function well and not um, withhold money that doesn't belong to the state. So there is an interest of the state to actually refund the money that doesn't belong to the state. And so uh, the Austrian um, government actually introduced some years ago the automatic tax refund, um, but it has a certain shortcoming. So you can't choose to get it. Like it, it's a system choosing who gets it. And then you cannot uh, claim very interesting um, ways of getting bigger tax refunds. So you only get a basic one, um, but you can't uh, say um, uh, you can't claim the family bonus or you can't um, depreciate products you bought uh, or like uh, deduct from your taxes or get a higher refund for the products you bought. Um, and also there is some um, all these concepts of being a, a sole um, a caretaking mother or father where you would get some advantages or now COVID um, actually had some home office advantages. Mm-hmm. So you can't get all of that. You just get like a basic refund and that's for people who have never done it. And very often there's also a language barrier because it's only that the services are uh, mostly... I think it's even only in German. I'm not even sure if you can do it in, <laughs> that's a bit embarrassing, but I'm not even sure if you can do it in English on the finance online. Mm-hmm. And then we have a lot of other um, uh, people from other countries uh, living, working in Austria, paying taxes, but not um, being or having the legal uh, language that they, they they would need to understand the terms and do their tax declarations. So understand. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. But then, then to go a bit like uh, in more detail of what you are then different actually offering and the same as you said already before, um, which parts of machine learning you are using it in your product. If understood correctly, you said like um, a customer then takes this phone or his and her phone I would imagine have the application on the phone, um, scan a receipt that they of a product that they bought and this receipt if it is then digitalized and it's going to be classified to be rec- uh, to extract the information which are tax relevant and to classify like the product that has been bought or the, the object of this of this receipt is this correct uh that's correct so that's uh where we want to get currently as i said it's still manual and mm-hmm. um just to clarify currently everything is completely on device So we are not um, storing any information about users um, or uh, the receipt, neither the receipts. And um, so it's really fully on device. And only if we create this report, we are explicitly asking users to um, pro- tell them that we are processing their data in the regards of um, uh, creating these reports that then they can export uh, themselves. So they have the ownership of the process to their tax consultants or to the finance online. And um, so in the future, that's basically how uh, we would link them to bring the application into the cloud. Mm -hmm. So that's the goal to have it in the cloud. Um, And then from there also store the the receipts because what you need to know, there is a legal obligation of storing receipts at least for seven years. So you need to keep them for seven years 
um, at least. So certain uh, professions have uh, up to 30 years of obligations to keep receipts. Mm-hmm. And so there is this legal obligation of saving them. And obviously, if you have on device saved your receipts, um, no, but, or hardly anyone keeps his phone for seven years. So there can also be this loss of, um, of receipts. And so we think it really makes sense to store it in a safe mm-hmm. cloud. Sure, I understand. I hope we're going. I hope we will have time to talk a bit about like the type to, topics of privacy and data storage. I'm um, going on, but but just to then to shortly linger on this point, as you already said before, right? Um, depending on the occupation or depending on the different customers, what is tax relevant for them or not? This this will depend on the situation and the context. So, um, how is this? How 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 do you imagine this to work exactly? So to understand, is there going to be some kind of uh, form that the customers have to fill prior to define like what is would be in what what tax category do they fall and then your system uses this information and um, adapts its suggestions and its classification yes so currently in the app you're running through uh, questions uh, like in a in a question flow format so you are asked about um, certain information which currently is stored locally um, but in the future we would uh, have um, this uh, data also stored uh, in, in, in the cloud. Um, and um, of, or, like what is very interesting also from a GDPR perspective is for tax uh, purposes, not for the AI engine itself. So what we're we doing with machine learning, because that's really the classification part, but to really cover the entire process, mm-hmm. um, we have to ask questions about, do you have children, for example? And so then very fast you get into sensitive data uh, or do you, um, like we can see if somebody has receipts uh, going above a certain threshold for medical treatments or um, trade union um, uh, contributions, or did somebody pay for the church? So very with the, the the information we are asking, there is sensitive information, and we really need to make sure to have um, that the purpose of it is very clear to do the tax declaration, but to also make sure that the taxpayer understands that they are providing us with this sensitive information for the purpose of doing the tax declaration, and then for the AI part, as you said. Um, we are taking uh, some uh, relevant attributes um, like the profession or the business you're running or the combination of both and then linking it to the expenses mm-hmm. and um, out of this combination charging whether a bought product uh, is tax relevant or not and where to classify it and create certain sums. So first we're asking the context, then basically um, uh, having the... So we have... Um, is um, VPCs, virtual private clouds, where we mm-hmm. have, or we will have this because it's not implemented yet, but that's the plan how to do it, to have the AI engine in one and the um, st- other stored data in another one uh, uh, with different permissions of access and so on. And then having the AI engine only really accessing the relevant information, which is um, mostly profession and um and uh, um, freelance activities and so on, and linking them to the products and then judging whether something is tax relevant or not, yeah. Okay, interesting. Well, I can definitely imagine there are certain challenges, right? As is, uh, as uh, one to in the class in all classification tasks, there's a certain amount of error happening during like different stages. So I would imagine that that right. Obviously, the you 
aim for the highest possible quality and the highest possible accuracy. Um, but obviously, like in the digitalization process, there can things can go wrong. Um, and how this how does it work in general at the moment? So at the moment, you said it's in many ways human labeling or people label the data. In the future, this will be um, automatically extracted. And just to understand it, and in this after this automatic extraction phase as well, the people get an overview of like the this digital twin in many ways of the original receipt that they can then compare if everything was digitalized or detected correctly before it's then fed into your system that does the classification and the tax relevant extraction of information. Do I understand this correctly? Uh, yes. So um, we uh, so basically from the receipts we uh, extract um, every single product. So that's a, an interesting part that I just want to highlight. So um, I mean we don't position ourselves in the field of OCR, but mm -hmm. we it's what we needed to do to get actually to our NLP um, process of classification. Um, so we really look at every single product, and many times even if these products are not uh, understandable for us humans. Um, um, we have a neural search in the background allowing us to uh, figure out, yes, this lamb from IKEA called Snörebrüll 7 is uh, is actually can be tax relevant for your desk for work, mm -hmm. uh, for your home office. And so, um, so we really look uh, on a product level and linking the products to the, the taxpayers and uh, or the attributes of the taxpayers relevant, relevant to do this classification. And as you said, there is AI is not uh, perfect and no classification process is perfect. And so there are, um, there will be errors. And um, so we have uh, this concept. Uh, we are also funded, as you know, by the um, ABS Trust for AI Fund mm -hmm. uh, because we developed this, pro this um, communication education process or concept in general on how to make sure to keep the user in, in the loop and in control of the process and make sure he, she understands that um, he, she is responsible for the tax declaration. And this obligation cannot be delegated neither, by the way, neither to a, a tax consultant. So you still stay responsible for having provided all the correct information, um, for not doing anything uh, with a bad intention or whatsoever, and um, to answer the questions of him, her correctly. Uh, and then, but you have this expertise of this expert, so you are relying on his know-how, training, and so on. And so we uh, want to actually have help people have this first step um, to get an indication from the system. Uh, but uh, to be honest, so that's really the challenges we are looking at. And we know that humans have a problem to a certain extent or tend to over-rely and trust mm -hmm. technology when it's a day-to-day -day technology that is integrated in their lives. And um, so we are really thinking of how to to um, make sure the user is well informed that the technology is not perfect, that he, she is responsible, having an educative element of um, uh, actually making suggestions, telling the user, other users usually have expenses in this regard or in that regard, or um, the, the, the thing you're trying to deduct is uh, a bit weird in our, in our, in our uh, understanding. So maybe you should recheck with an expert on whether um, that's really something you can deduct from your taxes, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I can definitely see this as a challenge and that, as ex that's actually one of the next things I want to talk with you about exactly this trust and responsibility aspect of it. And particularly if you that you're already working with this as a, in a general framework on how to communicate um, these responsibilities with the customer. Um, because I'm just thinking in this sense, right, one of the, would imagine one of the challenges as well uh, being there, as you said, like in part, you have to educate the user about their responsibilities and the responsibilities they cannot give away to many ways. Um, right in the normal way we work with technology is that if it all if it works if it almost ever works then you trust it and that's just it and it's just it's just a button that you press you don't understand what's what's happening in the background as long as, as the does what it was supposed to be doing that's more than enough for you um but as you rightly said right especially with with modern uh, technology driven by data driven by ai um There's a lot of uh, different aspects to it, like concerning privacy and like uh, digi your digital um, identity that you leave behind as well, right? So in this sense, it's one definitely needs to understand what's going on there. Um, but I'm just thinking in particular about uh, your use case and your, your challenges here, and your, or you already talked about it that in some way you have to educate the the, the user as well to understand, like maybe as well, like what. Where are the limits of, of the, the capabilities of such an AI system in general and what their, where their uh, responsibilities start? Um, I was thinking, how do you imagine this to work in the sense that, um, for example, if someone uses your software at the moment they, um, and they do a, a tax income declaration? But as you said already before, right, this can go up to several years in the past. So I imagine myself, for example, that I'm doing a tax income declaration and maybe I did it, I do it from something that I had like last year. I finally use it. Then I send it in. Then it takes some time and something, for example, would come back and something, if something is like inconsistent or something is like some questions are asked. Um, how do you in general expect like people to to then use such a system? In this sense, to, um, if, if questions come up, then you need a certain level of transparency, so a certain level of like explainability as well, right? In order to tell people like what has been going on and maybe you can go back to the original receipt in some ways. Um, do, you, do, do, do you see this as a challenge and how do you think about approaching this? Um, yeah, so I think that's one of the most, for me personally, that's one of the biggest challenges in general that we are facing with um, machine learning applications that uh, are used by end users. Uh, directly um, and, and not by a domain expert who is uh, is really uh, an expert on the field and can like with uh, one um, second say whether classification is uh, stupid or not and knows mm -hmm. why it's stupid or not. So I really think um, that this is a challenge that not only we will be faced or are facing, but uh, that actually everyone who's directly going to the, the end consumer is facing. And I just want to add that um, so we have this application uh, and we uh, it, it's not, uh, so it's really something that we said we want to have, help people get a tax refund and make sure that people get it in, a, in the most easy way. Mm -hmm. um, but we are planning to have our main uh, business actually uh, in, in a sense of a white label solution, being an API provider in the background, mm -hmm. um, helping to do uh, classifications for tax uh, finance re related um, purposes. And there is other challenges then that we are uh, dealing with, but um, especially putting it directly to the people, then as, as we discussed, having this reliance or trust um, that, you know, that the system knows what it's doing and simply um, clicking on a button and accepting it. 
And so I think that we will have in as everyone in this uh, AI sphere, but not only us, I think it's a, a joint um, from NGOs to the lawmakers to, to schools, like build up a certain resilience of people being more and more confronted with automated decision-making systems mm-hmm. and knowing also their rights in the sense of um, that you can complain, like making sure that there are these mechanisms of um, writing uh, in an easy manner in, in a chat format or in, a, in an email saying, I don't understand that. So the thing is, you can only overrule um, uh, or have like this power of a decision if you somehow understand how it came to the decision, as you said. And so this aspect of explainability is extremely in transparency is extremely important to us but as we all know in the community there is this problem with um uh deep uh, neural networks uh, having um the being uh, at least a gray box if not a black box so you can't many times you can't really look into it mm-hmm. and so what we did in this regard to um uh get closer uh, closer to explainability so first we we decided to use um BEAT instead of gpt3 which would have eventually performed a little bit better uh, because uh, gpt3 uh, is really just an api um, giving you an output but you have no possibility of looking into the system and so with um, uh, the the BERT uh, transformer model you have uh, these attention heads at least mm-hmm. where we can um, see where the technology or where the algorithm uh, has put its, fo- its focus when um, taking the decision and uh, we are currently uh, experimenting and working on some creative ways on how to uh, make understandable how the system came up um, with uh, with this um, classification, but mm-hmm. only that because a machine learning engineer then understands it eventually uh, doesn't mean that you can communicate it the right way in a simple, easy way to to an end user. So we are um, thinking a lot about about this this part. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to adding to this, I can imagine, right? In basic, as you said, like there are two places where them at the moment or in the future as well, ML is going to play a part, right? And what is on one side is the the image analysis where where the 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 receipt is going to be digitalized in some way, and then you said you have a separate classification cast using NLP technology to extract and know which item corresponds to what class and the relevance. And right, as in in many ways, understand it like the visual part in this sense is easier because you can, you, as a human, it's easy normally for you to compare like having the real receipt here and having like something like a digital twin where the information was extracted it's easy for someone to at least verify if the numbers for example are correct if like the items that have been detected and the, and, and the values in that are the same right that's easy um, but as you said obviously like the next part which is this classification NLP part there it's much more difficult right to wish to even like inform a user right because like in the end what you get the result is probably something like a simple of like this item corresponds to this category or in this text relevant or not to many ways. So uh, this is like a really like take it or, or, or leave it um, result that you have and you're ne- not necessarily able really to see um, distance. But um, I'm, I'm wondering, as you said already, exactly that, that this is a general challenge. And um, in many ways, I'm, it's, it's curious to see how uh, in this sense, it has to be solved by many different companies. Everyone actually in the NLP space, who, as you said, directly has to do with end customers. So it's, it's definitely a tough challenge. Uh, only, only to add. So, how uh, do we 
uh, currently work on the solution or, or part of the solution. So what we definitely want to give to the user is we show the confidence of the model, how confident it actually is uh, doing the classification. Like, yes, um, for you, the cooking book is not text relevant, 99% uh, sure. And then also, would, I, would it be the lean startup? And maybe it's not 100% sure whether it's job-related or uh, unvisible uh, woman, which is for me text relevant because I'm, I'm also teaching in, uh, at Women in AI. So, and it's not 100% sure, it would show, okay, I'm 60% certain, but not really, not really that sure. So maybe better check with someone. So we would have this um, histogram uh, showing um, the, the, the con confidence also. And what we can say, or what we're quite certain is that, um, you know, we, we have some experience uh, completely un un anonymized, but we um, can, can see from, from the app we have, from the Text at Home app, uh, what people, uh, what products basically were deducted and classified. Mm -hmm. And we can say that um, there is many errors uh, that, you know, that, that simply people don't know or are trying or just say, okay, let's give it a try, um, which uh, you don't need to fear to really go to prison directly if you have like a, a small error in your, in your uh, the, the, the expenses you, you try to deduct. Um, but we really feel that uh, we can make, uh, improve the standard mm -hmm. and have uh, make it easier and um, have a higher correctness um, of uh, this, the classifications in general, mm -hmm. but still the system will make um, errors. And so, um, so the idea is that we are trying this system, but if we feel that the users, we can't empower the users enough or educate them enough to take the over ownership. And if we see people are, would be getting um, facing consequences and it would be problematic, I think um, we, we could not continue running the system this way. So it's a bit a, a process, really experimenting and seeing does it work and can uh, do people take also the, the responsibility. Mm -hmm. And for the small businesses, so we have this idea anyway to just have something automated and then have it structured and in a very easy, understandable format, uh, you send it to your tech consultant and within, and he, she just needs one more hour to uh, half an hour look over it and tell you, listen, I mean, that's right, that's not right. Maybe you should, uh, we need an appointment for qualitative uh, consulting, but all these process, the pre-process of um, calculating and putting it into Excel sheets and then uh, calling back and saying, what was this ticket for? What was that for? Why did you mm -hmm. do that? So all these things would get um, uh, automated. So we believe in an almost 80% automation of of the process mm -hmm. and then we would still like to have the input of the domain expert and what is very interesting also is so we are planning to have the ai system uh, or the algorithm implemented into the the application mm -hmm. but we would not since we we saw that some of the uh fit or some of the classifications were not really uh the, um, yeah, like 100% compliant with uh, current standards. So we would not directly have the feedback go back into the training loop because um, we know we need to, to first uh, check with domain experts whether actually this was correct or mm -hmm. not. Uh, and we think that's extremely important for the label consistency. So we have, we have developed an own framework, which we call DEAL. So mm -hmm. it's the... Uh, domain expert active um, um, learning. 
uh, framework, and we really pay attention to have um, rather less training data, but high quality uh, stand, uh, real expert uh, feedback going into the learning loop. Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely, it definitely makes sense. I mean, I've seen this many times before, right? The importance of um, good label data or good training data, especially for an approach like yours, where I would imagine that you have like pre-trained bird models that you fine-tune based on your on, on your right, your particular task. The the quality of the training data is essential. Um, but actually, one thing I wanted to mention as well, as you mentioned already before, right? I, this challenge that people often comparing um, like the results of a, a machine learning system to the perfect solution and not to like the existing standard, which is much, much lower than perfect. I think this is like a common challenge that you can see this a lot, right? Even with self-driving cars, everyone knows self-driving cars are not perfect, but still the approximation would be, they would be reduce the number of, of fertilities like on the road hundreds of times, but still people say, oh, but there can still, someone can die, right? So can we really go ahead and not com not, not comparing it to the current uh, existing um, systems that we have, but really like to the, this perfect state. So in this sense, I completely agree that this is, that like improving the the, the current um, situation is already an improvement and it's already worth. So in, the, in this sense, that it's definitely interesting. I was just wondering, another thing is, as you mentioned already before, that that obviously your system is evolving and improving as well over time. I just wonder from this, um, just shortly from this ex explainability perspective, in this sense, for example, how do you, do you have thought about or ideas about how you would, or how the user would have this interaction with, for example, saying that at some point um, I had scanned a receipt, it did a prediction, it classified, for example, an item as tax relevant for my situation. But uh, for example, this, as you said, right, might not have been the perfect um, decision. But for example, half a year later, you, your, your system has learned, it has improved its, its prediction. If you scan the same receipt nowadays, for example, you get another result. Um, do you know, like, do you have ideas about how to integrate this in a smooth user experience and as you said as well like integrated from from a trust perspective because right in this sense right the result should probably not be that someone just scans the, the same receipt hundreds of times until they finally get like a positive uh, text prediction that ah perfect okay now i can okay. put it into 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 my my tax refund uh -huh, yeah, thank you so much. Um, so first of all, I think the self-driving car uh, example is a very good one. I um, I quote it sometimes myself because currently um, with uh, assisted cars, basically or assisted driving cars, uh, we have to state that still you as the person on the driving seat are completely responsible. And so that's very easy to compare to the tech situation. So you are responsible for it, but you just didn't pass a driving test. So eventually you don't really have this, this knowledge you would need to um, to do it the right way. And so that's our, our mission to educate in, in helping people getting um, money back in that sense. And about um, this improving system, that's a very uh, interesting um, aspect that you are actually mentioning. And I think we have not, or at least I have not looked at it from that angle, um, but in general. So the, the all this user um, usability, in my opinion, uh, and what we've seen is that this usability and user experience um, side and how you show something to the end user uh, is extremely important to the for AI, um, AI um, solutions. In general, it's 
quite tricky when you give these final outcomes, like yes, no, um, because people tend to rely. So it's better to give a kind of a confidence uh, measure and have the final decision take by the, the end user. So, and then looking at this improving system, I mean, it makes definitely uh, a sense. I mean, that's a, also one of the problems, the reproducibility of results in general. Mm -hmm. And then even having a system getting better and eventually classifying something differently half a year on when it was trained with more uh, more data or even that the law may, might have changed. Mm -hmm. So uh, eventually, there, I, I, at least I have not discussed it uh, with uh, the techies, so maybe they have really thought about it, but um, I haven't uh, seen it from that perspective. But what I think would make sense is to um, have a way of uh, eventually um, identifying when, when we see that there are tracking and identifying whether there is um, a, a classification that changes in the process um, to then have a possibility to go back and see uh, in, in uh, which cases maybe there was the misclassification in, in the background. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Just to be completely transparent and honest, so I don't have the uh, the, the real answer and um, it's something that I will think about and hopefully I will uh, I mean it's, it makes really sense and it's something really important yeah. mm -hmm. very good so I will take with me <laughs> <laughs> um, very nice to hear that well um, one other thing that I think I wanted to talk a bit about um, focusing on your work and your experience that you have in the area was uh, about the privacy aspects of it. And as you said, already said, right, um, the data is here is very sensitive in the sense people are providing information about themselves, but at the same time, you get insights into like their um, shopping behavior, their like what they consume in their lives, right, which which tells a lot about, about an individual, right? Nowadays, we're, in many ways, we are a consuming society. So like uh, the way you can uh, tell me what you consume, I tell you who you are, right? And in this sense, um, ca can you say something about like what you see here? Where are some of the main challenges for um, a company like yours? And as you said already before, categorizing, categorizing it as like... Um, and use an end user application making use of data and of AI. Mm -hmm. So um, first, thank you for the question. It's extremely important. And uh, first of all, uh, we uh, we take this topic very seriously, and so we will uh, charge once we because now we don't have so many costs. So in general, the, the app is for free and people have their things on their phone and only if they do in-app um, uh, buyings like a, a report, uh, then people are charged. But so once we bring it into the cloud, um, we are going to charge our users. So it's not going to be a free application because we clearly base our, so first of all, business model on the B2B side, but also on the app, we will have costs and we need to uh, make sure to be to cover those costs. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there is no other way. And um, so for us, it's clear that we are not going to sell um, data about um, con con consumer data. So mm -hmm. that's the only way for us to make the application um, sustainable by charging it, uh, charging for the cloud services and um, and keeping the costs covered. And um, and uh, so we are not uh, not uh, planning or. or we are certain and we define for ourselves that this is not the business model we are ever going to pursue um, because we, all of us agree that uh, 
that the you know uh, we we criticize or at least I criticize a lot also in the in the work of women in AI um, certain methods of being manipulated <laughs> from a political to a market size and aside and it's not how we want to be perceived and how we want to be as a company mm-hmm. and. Then, um, so what we uh, will do, so first of all, we um, will make sure that from a cybersecurity perspective, um, things are really safe. We are using, uh, with a, a microservice architecture in, in the backend, um, which basically allows us some flexibility. So also for B2B, when we work with one company and they have a cloud they want to use, uh, we can basically work with this cloud. Currently, we have our AI engine running on AWS, mm-hmm. but uh, we are also using the other big cloud providers for different services because we can connect them. And um, as I mentioned before, so we have uh, really this idea to um, have these uh, VPC, VPCs having separate uh, clusters basically for uh, different information and different processes. And so completely separating the machine learning from uh, the data we are storing about uh, the people themselves mm-hmm. and um, only giving the access of, so with these uh, VPCs, apparently, we can really specify very carefully where, where the machine learning um, has access to mm-hmm. and where not. And um, so that's the one thing. And then from a legal perspective, which is very important, is that we will um, tell our users and be very transparent um, that uh, there is some um, some uh, information we need for the entire uh, text declaration process. And some of this information is going to be uh, sensitive. So we will explicitly ask them for this purpose to give us this uh, sensitive data and also inform them that, that we need to store it uh, for the legal um, re- legally required um, period. And um, what is also important is that for the training of the AI engine, we are anonymizing the data mm-hmm. and we are not, uh, so really only accessing data, uh, taking away the attributes, making sure that, uh, that we don't need, making sure to really only have very limited generalistic information, but enough to uh, say, okay, someone being a cookers profession um, has the can deduct the cooking book from the text declaration. So that's how the general approach um, that we are going to take. So really inform the user, making sure it's a under a, a really a consent that is understood and mm-hmm. um, well processed, and not just like somewhere in the uh, terms of conditions on page five hundred sixty, but mm-hmm. really actively have someone. Um, agree to that and then eventually we could also just do the classification part or have help users in another way or but uh, to really provide entire income tax declaration we will have to access information about um, family situation and and uh, eventually if you want like the church is even automatically uh, mm-hmm. in the in the um, finance online and so on I understand. And, and just to summarize it shortly, right, as, as you said, in part, the base for all of this is already said a business model, which enables a company to be self and to, to not depend on any kind of income that's, that's for scientists would, uh, would they get from selling any kind of customer data. But uh, you said, right, the, one of the fundamentals is here that you have a paid service in many ways so that people, 
the people can the, the company can really live from it and uh, can cover the cost and make a profit without necessarily selling any kind to any kind of private data way and I think that's definitely as well key right because you can see this a lot of free services on the web right but in the end you always pay you pay with your data you pay with your privacy um, I definitely agree in that that this is probably if we want to have a, a more a privacy focused and aware future for AI and data then it's definitely um, it has to be paid and in the end I would imagine like it's better that people individually choose um, who to pay for and to know what the costs are in many ways um, than to just give it away and then let's who knows what's happening with your data um, but then only one thing I, I think about this is that right you were talking a lot about like data access and data storage right with for example the VPCs the virtual private clouds then for the B2B businesses that they have it's clear then like who has access and like where the data is stored um, but then as, an, as well as an individual, right, for example, as you said, right, because of the way that our tax refund system works, uh, things can be relevant many years after they actually have been submitted in many ways, right? And in this sense, it's, it's on one side, it's a challenge for you, I would imagine, because you have to keep this data definitely there for several years, and you mu must make it accessible to the user to somewhere as well, right? So that the user, for example, can go back and say, oh, I had some receipts from four years ago, please provide me them in, in many ways. Right, so mm -hmm. I definitely see this, um, right, in many ways, like as, as a as a long term dependency as well, right, that, that you have like with the customer and and on and your company, uh, which is which is interesting and challenging. Very challenging. Also, what I mean, <laughs> you know, we are uh, extremely optimistic that uh, we as a we we love what we are doing and we believe that we will be a successful company and grow and be there for a long time. Um, but uh, I mean, we had these thoughts: what if you know it doesn't work off and people provided us the data? So we really also thought about making sure that um, people can transfer, download, um, save it themselves, and not just be left with. A system that blew up and having mm -hmm. no access to their uh, to the data. Eventually, we were also thinking of, um, but this would be we, we need to check because it could be um, technically really complex. Um, but uh, that, to give the possibility to connect with your own cloud mm -hmm. and uh, have the data stored in your own cloud and then just process it basically. Um, but but it, it might become too complicated because as a startup, you also need to always uh, see what you can do, what not realistically and of how, mm -hmm. <laughs> how you uh, do it. So, of course, yeah. I, I was thinking the same that like when you are describing, for example, the VPC solutions, right? One can imagine that they have like a, some kind of self-hosted version where the people can uh, let host the service. But at the same time, I would imagine that the people that are interested in many ways is such a broad base. Like many of them are not technical, uh, don't have the technical capabilities to do in any ways do something like this by themselves, right? In this sense, then this would probably be very challenging um, for the for the user to then really use the system if they have to think about their self-hosting, if it's it's only the data or if it's the complete service. But one other thing I was thinking about actually is concerning like the legal aspects of, for example, the GDPR, where the, at the moment there, there, there is this right to be forgotten. There's this right that you, for example, a company can tell, okay, please, I, I, I don't want to use your services anymore. Uh, please remove all the data or give me all the data that you have about myself, right? This is like legally binding um, in many ways. So I can imagine that like concerning like the digital receipts, this is in this and possible and, and easy, I can imagine, right? You have somewhere the data is stored. In this sense, this can 
be then offered to the to the to the user. It can be removed and deleted um, if the user goes. But I was wondering, to some way, extent, to the other parts of like as you said, like you have like this machine learning training going on. So in the sense, <clears throat> input from the individual users is flowing into the system. It's going to, is 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 combined and is, is used in the future. So in this sense, um, I'm curious on your perspective of, for example. If I say, okay, I want to be, I have the right to be forgotten. I want to be forgotten from your system. Um, do you have any ideas how, how, if, how is this going to be done on those predictive models? So, um, so uh, for the predictive models in general, we are trained. So the first training steps to be very fair, it was done by our own stuff that we just collected and um, to just get the system basically started. But in general, we uh, make sure to, uh, as I said, to anonymize and uh, not have any retraceability of the user, him, herself, mm -hmm. um, to remove as many attributes. So. Uh, to really say that the information or that the, the job description is one factor um, is uh, is so abstract that you can't really go back and see who was uh, the user is not identifiable anymore, and so it would be anonymous um, data and not falling into into the into certain uh, into GDPR at all. Mm -hmm. um, but we really need to make sure that the user is not re-identifiable and that there is not not this possibility to somehow. Uh, even in eventually having very complex situations of being self uh, self employed, employed, teaching, lecturing, whatever, and so um, eventually we we really need to make sure that we can't go back to the user. But mm -hmm. um, then this information is um, floating in into the general trained um, intelligence, which should improve the standard mm -hmm. as it is. And so we have not really uh, foreseen. Um, at least as far as I know, because mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm I'm mostly involved in all the technical discussions when it's um, when when uh, we we talk about these techni technicalities when it comes to data protection. Mm -hmm. But um, so we have not uh, I have not really um, seen uh, the linkage because we uh, work with the anonymous data in, mm -hmm. in the future. We really make sure it's not retraceable. But um, eventually, there could be a way. But I don't think so because it's the idea of having it anonymized that you don't really know who it's from, so you can't really retrack who mm -hmm. was the, the the person um, who provided you with this training data. Mm -hmm. So, but eventually, what we could do is to inform the user to tell. Um, I mean, we are planning to inform the user and have him confirm um, that that we are using in an anonymous way um, certain attributes to train this, the, the machine learning engine mm -hmm. and also inform that this information is anonymized. So it cannot be, uh, we cannot, uh, basically there's no right to be forgotten since it's not um, not uh, retraceable anyway. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah, no, th this is definitely a challenge. I see a lot like like even in other companies, right? And that's one of the main drivers that like personally me being involved with mostly, for example, that when, when they talk about synthetic data, right? This is main of the one of the main drivers, exactly this factor mm -hmm. that they're describing of the certain level of uncertainty where when you depend on anonymization as well, that you can assure how, to, how much 
you can be definitely certain that your anonymization process is going to not reveal any um, personal identifiable information so that you exactly then are excluded from this legal requirement of when, when someone for example wants to opt out um, but yeah it's it's definitely a tough challenge and I, I, I see it's good that that, that, that that's, it's part of your decision processes and I am um, I think it's it's in the end it is really really important uh, for the for the privacy of your customers looking at this actually and looking at the time um, I'm thinking that we would have to, to come to and close to the episode um, but before we do that I actually I wanted to ask you where to talk um, describe a bit about your work in the women in AI because you mentioned it always several times before you are active in women in AI and um, maybe you can tell us a bit about what you work there and how it maybe in many ways relates to exactly those aspects that we have been discussing the aspects of trust responsibility and privacy yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, I only wanted to add in, in, in general to close the, the topic from a business perspective mm -hmm. that um, I think it, it is a lot of work to, to gain trust, but I really believe and hope that uh, legal requirements combined with more informed users um, bring more scrutiny and uh, to, to existing solutions and that in the long term, um, you know, there, there will be a distinguishing factor of who who's the companies you trust your data and who not. And I think it can be uh, destroyed very fast and easily. So I, for me personally, I don't see myself in a scene where um, I have a huge scandal in, in our company, how things really go wrong. And so I think from the beginning, that's very important questions even startups need to deal with because it can destroy the entire uh, everything great you're doing if you are publicly losing the trust um, of your users and so I think it's really important also from a business perspective and of then, course of course yes, yes, it's true like, trust is difficult to build and easy to lose yeah. Yeah. and then um, for, for women in AI yeah thank you for bringing it up so uh, it also actually started in, in, in Switzerland because I uh, lived in a shared apartment with a machine learning engineer and you know in in, um, in Lausanne there is the APFL and they have this applied machine learning days and he told me to go to this event for women in AI and then I, I went there and it was uh, super cool. So this was the first contact I got with the international global organization Women in AI, which has more than 8,000 members from more than 100 countries over the world. Um, it's a very enriching, uh, diverse community, uh, interdisciplinary community of um, women and uh, basically all genders who just want to see uh, more diversity uh, and uh, women in the field of AI. And um, so I, it totally got me. I joined the organization. And then once I moved back to Austria to get started with uh, Textastic, uh, I was actually asked to, to um, why not uh, start the Austrian chapter? And, uh, and at first I thought, okay, I can't do it because I'm not a machine learning engineer. But in the end, that's really what it was all about to have um, someone to start and create a network and then bring together this interdisciplinarity and, um, and um, people striving for more diversity. And so I took, I just uh, kicked off and um, exactly one year ago, so a few days and one year ago, um, uh, about, I think we were about 15 highly motivated uh, uh, women at that point who uh, really formally founded um, the Austrian NGO, Women in Artificial Intelligence Austria. 
And uh, since then, we have been a very active community. So we are all volunteers. So sometimes things are not moving as fast as we want to, but we do really amazing things. So we have an amazing policy division who commented uh, like today in the news was the um, Digital Markets and Services Act. So we uh, sent our comments uh, to that. We commented on the EI Act. We really uh, try to uh, use our voice to make sure that um, also uh, that the civil society is heard and um, the diversity aspect is not forgotten in certain processes. We um, have a lot of events that we are organizing and um, also taking part in and uh, trying. So we really want to make sure that there is no panels where you just see like one type of uh, people, but you really have a kind of a diverse uh, expert network where you can go to and uh, refer to uh, from legal to anthropologist to uh, machine learning engineer and mathematician, you really have the entire network of whatever you want to access to. And um, we are planning to go much more next year. So that's one of our big, um, big uh, goals for next year to go in the direction of educational projects to, uh, on the one hand, try to uh, inspire women who might be in completely different professions, um, but in the future might have uh, to uh, somehow in interact with uh, automated decision-making systems mm -hmm. to, to get triggered and learn about it and get into the topic and inspire even more um, women to do so. And also to uh, try to reach younger girls uh, because we really feel that it's in a very early age when uh, we take the decisions what to learn or which schools to go to and what subjects we are actually interested in. So we want to also motivate um, younger girls to eventually consider going into an AI profession in the future mm -hmm. or AI related um, professions. Yeah, and last but not least, uh, I want to say thank you to the entire community if somebody's listening for um, really doing such an amazing job and um, having such a great empowering network. And also that we are looking uh, systematically for sponsors who then can co-organize events and um, do different activities with us as community. Very good. Yeah, as you already said, like it's definitely an important um, field, an important work you're doing, and the diversity um, that you, that you bring with it, and the diversity that you encourage with with your members, and as well like um, the way that uh, that you are bringing others into the field and convincing maybe as in Austria in particular, I think like uh, young girls to think about maybe they can start a career in which is related to, to machine learning. If it's some kind of data science or if it's in general closer to tech, I think that's definitely a benefit because diversity there, um, in particular, I have the feeling like when, when I'm looking too many to my foreign colleagues um, coming from, from, from other countries, often have the feeling that it's, it's easier for women in other countries to, to get into the tech field. Uh, then compared to Austria and I have the feeling particularly in Austria there is still this tendency like if, if you go to our universities to the, that, that um, there's a clear gender bias in the different studies and in this sense I think it's really important the work you're doing there and um, yeah I, I hope as you said like people are listening to this for many reasons and as well like, like uh, there is going to be support and interest as well coming to you. 
Yeah, but thank you too, because um, uh, I think that's exactly uh, a, a combined uh, mission to some some extent to that you're working on as well. And also, I am very proud that you already interviewed some of the women in EI community members from uh, Chil to Jelena and Rania, mm -hmm. um, and uh, that you actually also focus on the diversity aspect, obviously, and not just uh, and looking to 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 show different aspects from non-technical people as technical ones, bringing together different backgrounds and genders in, in that Exactly, sense. that's one of the aspirations of the, of the Austrian AI podcast to show exactly this, what is possible and what exists in Austria. Um, but then let, uh, the shorter before we close, um, how do you how do people reach out to you in, in the best case? I will definitely make sure that I include into the show notes links to um, to a textastic and as well like um, to to you directly. And uh, but how do people get in touch? And if they're interested in either textastic or like in women AI, um, yeah. So the easiest way is to either connect on LinkedIn or uh, send me directly an email to Karina at textastic dot uh, um, and on uh, Women in AI, actually, you can go on our, so there's the global website where you can join the global network, which is really enriching because you get access to a Slack channel with this over 8,000 um, uh, diversity enthusiasts from all countries of the world, ranging from Ethiopia to Mexico. And um, and uh, and there is also possibilities to uh, find uh, job opportunities, post opportunities, speaking opportunities, and so on. And if you want to join Women in AI Austria, um, you can simply uh, go to our website, womenineai.at, um, mm -hmm. and then click on become a member or become a sponsor if you want to support us in the, the one or other way. And um, yeah. So that's uh, that's how you can can reach me and us as a community. Perfect, very good. Well, with this, Karina, <clears throat> I want to thank you very much for coming on to the show and 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 talk about Tactastic, your work, women in AI, and um, how much attention you pay to the to the rights of the individual, the private, and make sure that that people are and taking responsibilities in like developing services and products. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Have a nice day. Bye. You too. Bye. Thanks.